Lord, I just thank you now this morning as we go into this time of uh, teaching, this time of uh, your word. I pray that you would just bless the words that are said today. Give us clearness of thought. Help us to be able to speak and hear and understand, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Grayson and or whoever was going to help Jenna, would you pass out that first handout, please? This morning I want to present to you an opportunity that I would like everyone that is a member and a regular attender of our church to listen to very closely. Uh, This is not um, uh, a bad thing at all. It's a very good thing. I think I have a very good opportunity I want to talk to you about this morning. And um, there's a handout coming around that uh, you can read probably, uh, hopefully at a later time, but I'm going to be speaking pretty much through the handout. What I want to talk to you about this morning is about the name of our church and the significance of, of a name. Now, what first of all, what is so significant about a name? Why should we be concerned about what our church is named? Have you ever thought about it? Have you ever thought about the name of a church and why a churches are named churches they are, the names they are? I want to talk about the significance of a name this morning and really what I believe the Lord is asking of us. I believe the Lord is asking us to do some things different in this church. I think we are at a very important time in our church. I think we're at a very important crossroads in our church. I think the church is really uh, stronger now than it's been in years. I think we have a very good core of people that really can come together, and I think the Lord is creating a foundation for growth, a very stable foundation for growth, and I think we need to listen to what the Lord's going to tell us and then be willing to move and direct as he asks us to go. So what is so significant about a name? If a name is chosen appropriately for an organization, it's a great tool to communicate with, to the community that it's in who this organization is and what this organization is. It's a great benefit to those within the organization as well. And a name is, a name is very important for two main reasons. Two main reasons. First, it identifies to those outside the organization who and what the organization is. It's an identifier in the, organ, or in the community of who that organization is, whether it's a church, a school, a business. It doesn't make any difference what the organization is. The name is a good identifier of who that organization is. Number two, it's a great challenge and a reminder to those inside the organization of who and what they're supposed to be. If a name is picked appropriately, it identifies from the outside and it challenges from the inside. Basically, that's it about a name. If it's selected properly, the name identifies from without and challenges from within. You might want to write that down just so you remember what a name does. A name identifies from without and it challenges those that are within. And that's why a name is very important, and that's why picking a name or having a name is very important. And so um, I want to just uh, talk about the idea that I want to propose to you that the Lord has played, laid on my heart that we, name, that we change the name of our church. And I want to talk in more details about that today. And I hope at the end of the day this morning that you'll hear my heart and, and that we can then talk and, and figure out if that's what you hear as well. The name that I'm proposing that we be called is Centerpoint Assembly. 
center point assembly. Say it, say it with me. Center point assembly. Center point assembly. Now, we are not leaving the assembly of God. We are not changing anything with the denominational structure. We are fully entrenched, fully believing in the assemblies of God, and that's our, that's our denomination, and, and we, we appreciate them. We appreciate the guidance and the support that our denomination leadership gives us. Are they perfect? No, they're not. But then again, if we were non-denominational, we wouldn't be perfect either. <laughs> so we're not into perfection, but we are into following Jesus to the best that we can. Center point assembly is the name that I propose. Before I go any further, I do make, need to make an apology, though. Um, when I was preparing and doing some research for the name, I wanted to make sure that this name wasn't taken within the state or within the county. So I did some work just to prepare to see if it was a good name. I went down to the county, and I um, applied, to, or as part of the process, I applied for a DBA. The plan that I would propose is that we would not really change the, the legal structure of our name. We will still be Charlevoix Assembly of God Church from a corporate perspective, but we would have a DBA or a, as known as name called Centerpoint Assembly so that we are not changing our corporate structure. Okay, We are not removing ourselves in any way, shape, or form from the corporation that we've established with. We just want to become known as Centerpoint Assembly within the community that we live in. So I went down and I applied for that and I had no idea. I had absolutely no idea they were going to put it in the paper under the, uh, under the assumed names. So some have seen it and some have said, oh, uh, they're changing the name of the church. And you didn't know about it. And I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. That was my mistake. I'm sorry. I wasn't trying to run ahead of anyone in this congregation. I wasn't trying to presuppose anything. I just was doing a little bit of homework, and I got caught. <laughs> I got caught because I didn't know what I was doing in that regard. And if I would have known they were going to put it in the paper, I never would have done that. So please forgive me on that point. Okay, now let's talk about why Centerpoint Assembly. What's the significance of that name? And I want to go through a process with you, really, of what the Lord laid on my heart and why I believe this is the right name for our church. Really, this has been a rolling in my mind for about two months or longer. And it really came when I was preaching a sermon two, two months ago or whatever. And halfway through, my mind clicked wholly, totally different off my preparation. And everything was really about the center point of our life. And I don't know if you remember or not, but that's when we started talking about Magellan and Christopher Columbus. And all of a sudden, we were talking about when the world was flat. And I'm thinking, where did that come from? That was kind of, it came from because I believe the Lord was placing in my heart that, that we at that time thought that the earth was the center point of the universe and everything revolved around us. In all reality, we're not the center point of the universe, are we? Even the sun isn't the center point of the universe. It's the center point of our little star system here. But really, the center point is Christ. The center point is Jesus Christ. He's the center point of all the universe, including the universe of my life. So why center point? The process of salvation goes right to the very beginning. The process of salvation requires a change of ownership of one's life. Think about this with me for a minute. A person may not realize at that moment of salvation what's really happening all they're realizing is that they feel this conviction in their spirit. They feel this tug of the Holy Spirit to say, I need to ask Jesus to forgive me of my sin. 
But all what's really happening there is that there is a transaction happening. There is a movement of putting that I was at the center point. Now I'm putting Jesus at the center point of my life. And so that's the process of salvation. And it's something that we then have to learn to walk in. So the new convert may not realize what's happening, but he needs to be taught. He needs to be mentored. He needs to be discipled. He needs to know that it, that it, it says in, in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. How can you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and not have Jesus at the center point of that? In all, in all reality, every church in America should be named Centerpoint. Every Christian church in America should have this as their name because how can we be a Christian if Jesus really isn't the center point of our life? Placing Christ at the center point is a required result, and as this is done, the fruit of change becomes apparent to people. As we put Christ there. Now, let's go back to the moment prior to salvation. Prior to this time, mankind's natural center point is self. Prior to accepting Jesus Christ as my Savior and having a true relationship with Him, Christ is not a factor in my life. He wasn't a factor. He, I didn't even consider Him. I was not ever thinking about pleasing God. I was all about pleasing Mike. I was all about pleasing myself and most of the time in the most immediate sense of gratification as I could find. I wasn't into long-term planning when I was sinning. I wanted what I wanted now, and I wanted to get it now, and I'd do anything I had to to get what I wanted to make me pleased, to satisfy my fleshly desires. I had Mike at the center point of my life. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3 tells us this. It says, As for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings, here it is, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. You see that? In my own flesh, I am gratifying and I'm desiring the cravings of sinful nature, my flesh. I'm the center point. It's all about Mike. It's all about pleasing me. It's all about getting what I want at the expense of who cares. I just want what I want and I'm willing to do whatever I got to to get it. You know what that reminds me of? The good old American dream. The good old American dream. You can have anything you want. You can, and you may have to climb over people, but that's okay. Climb over them. They're just stepping stones for you to get to where you want to get. You know, and I'll tell you, um, but I'm not going to go down the rabbit trail. We're just going to stay focused here. So we need to then just understand that the gratifying of our sinful cravings are the old man. And for that purpose, all my... Nature, my future then, is wrath. I cannot please God in that situation. 
I cannot please God. When I have myself at the center point, it is impossible to please Jesus. It is impossible to please God when it's all about me. And I know that this is where the contrariness of this is very apparent in worldly opinion. Human secularism has a really hard time with this comment. Yes, maybe we've come to the point of salvation. Maybe lots of people have said, yes, I've accepted Jesus as my life, but it doesn't stop there. That is, the, that is just the beginning of the experience. That's the beginning of the journey. Accepting Jesus is very important, but it's just the beginning. You must, we must move from that into a discipleship and a mentoring process and a learning and a maturing process of growing up in Christ and learning how to place him at the center point of our life in every decision we make, in everything we do, everything we say, everything we live, our future mates, our jobs, everything needs to be Jesus-centered. And that's where many Christians struggle this morning. Many people that call themselves Christians struggle with this concept of complete surrender. They want to be a Christian, but they only want to really do it by name only. They're not really interested in surrendering my life. Not really interested in really saying, okay, Lord, what is it you want me to do? And I will do what you want me to do. American Christianity is a convenience-based religion. American Christianity says, I will serve the Lord when it's convenient for me. And as soon as it gets inconvenient, well, I'm going to change the rules a little bit. I'm going to change it. And let me say right now to everyone listening here, that's not the church that the Lord's coming back for. If that's your perspective of Christianity, I'm sorry. I really feel bad because that's not pleasing to the Lord. That is not what he wants. That's not the church he's coming back for. He's coming back for a church that is completely, completely sold out to him. Radically sold out to him. Can I say it any more emphatically? How do you love the Lord with all your heart, mind, body, and soul if you're keeping something to yourself? I don't see anything in the Word anywhere that says you can compromise with God's Word and be a pleasing Christian. I don't see it. I've looked. I would love to find it because it would make my life easier too. But I can't find it. So therefore, we need to understand that Christians, truly Christians, even though we struggle with this. We have to make sure that we allow Jesus to be the center point. So as a person accepts the Lord as his Savior through the, through the grace of God, we see, a, this, we see this significant for a number of reasons. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. In other words, old things have passed away. The, the sin of me keeping me on the throne of our hearts, that's passed away, truly, in a conversion experience. And all things have become new. I've placed Jesus at the center point of my life. And even though salvation is a free gift, yes, it's free. There's nothing, there's no currency that we have, like we talked about this morning. There is no currency to buy Jesus' blessing. The only currency that we have is faith. Faith is the currency that moves God. It's not a currency of how much money I have or how gifted I am or how good-looking or, or whatever it is. That's not it at all. God doesn't look at that. He looks at my heart. He looks at faith. That's the currency of heaven. So even though salvation is free, it comes with a daily commitment to live out our lives 
and to continue to work out our, our salvation in fear and trembling. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. It tells us this. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. There is a process of living a Christian life. Yes, salvation is a very, very, very important part of it, but it's just the beginning. So as we continually strive through the power of God's love and mercy to keep Christ at the center point, we can then do so as a body of believers as well. All right, another point, to daily effectively live for Christ, we must focus on Jesus. We must keep him there. We must, we must keep him at the center point. We must focus our eyes. In Hebrews chapter two, 12, verse 2 and 3, it says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Now, fixing your eyes isn't a glance. This isn't just a quick glance every now and then at Christ and say, Well, okay, I'll, I'll kind of play with that. I'll dabble in that. No, we're to focus, we're to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And here it is. This is for you and I today. Consider him who endured such painful opposition from sinful men so that you may not grow weary and lose heart, so that we understand that Christ suffered Yes, that was such a good comment last night at dinner. You don't think Christ suffered on the cross? You don't think he went through a little bit of an agony? Yeah, he did. He did. And therefore, then, we need to then consider that. Consider that so that I do not grow weary and lose heart in my, in my struggle, as Angel talked about today, that we don't grow, grow weary. Yes, we recognize we're struggling, and that's not wrong to recognize we're struggling. We need to recognize it. We need to understand it. We don't stick our head in the sand and say it's not happening because it's happening. It's a real struggle. But consider him. Consider Christ who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you would not grow weary and lose heart. That's a great encouragement for us. And as we do that, we then have a lined-up vertical relationship with the Lord. Our vertical relationship lines up with God so that our horizontal relationship lines up with men. And we'll talk about that probably next week when I talk more about our identity and our logo and some things that are changing as well. So we'll kind of keep that for next week. Is it easy to do? Is it easy to keep Christ at the center point of your life? Tell me. Is it easy? No. There are sometimes it's very difficult. Again, let's recognize it. Let's recognize the struggles. Let's not make it something that it's not. It's not always easy to do it. But understand that God gives us the grace to do it. He tells us up front. He tells us in Luke chapter 9, 23 and 24, he says this. He says, then he said to them, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. So when things come your way that cause a struggle, don't be surprised. Don't be caught off guard. We're instructed right here that if we're really going to be following Christ, we must deny ourselves. We must bear our cross. We'll never bear the crown. We'll never wear the crown until we bear the cross. We can't just get to heaven 
without having to live through life first. And living through life means we're going to have to bear the cross of Christ if we're going to wear the crown in heaven. So just understand that right now. And so then when, you, when these things come, you're not surprised. That you're ready, you're prepared, you have a foundation to build on. Then it goes on in the next chapter, the next verse in Luke, chapter 25, it says, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? In other words, so what if you had all the things of the world? So what? If it, if it requires of you to lose yourself, if you have to give yourself to gain what the world has on a temporary fashion, that moment you stand before God and he says, Mike, what did you do with my son? What did you do with him? Why do you think, Mike, you should get to heaven? And if your answer is, well, God, because I was a good man on earth, because I was better than my neighbor, I was better than him, and God, I know you're grading on a curve here, and I would be at the top of the curve because I know I was a lot better than a lot of other people. That's not the answer that he wants. The only answer that God's going to accept is that you accepted Jesus Christ and you applied the blood of his sacrifice to cover your sin. That's the answer. God, I was not good enough in my own right. I was an evil man. I was, my heart was bent on evil. That's what I was. But that's not who I am now because I applied Jesus Christ's sacrifice to my life and I've asked him to forgive me. So what good is it, man? What shall it profit a man if he gained the whole world and yet lose his soul? Is it optional? Is it optional? I, maybe I should ask the question, is what optional? <laughs> if I'm asking... If having Jesus in my heart is optional in the case of making my eternal home heaven, then is it optional keeping Jesus at the center point of my life? No, it's not. I guess then what do you think you're doing? If you're not really keeping Christ at the center point, how do you think you're ever going to get to heaven? How do you think you're ever going to make it there if Christ isn't the center point of your life today and tomorrow and Wednesday? And Friday night, when you're with your social group, when you're at school, when you're on the job, listen, if you're not consistently keeping Christ at the center point of your life, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, you better reevaluate some things, okay? You better reevaluate, what am I doing? Why, what, am I, what game am I playing here? Am I really, really centered on Christ? Do I really want heaven as my home? If I'm going to have heaven as my home, folks, I'm telling you the very solid truth it is and all the love in the world, and that is you have to keep Christ in the center of your life. You're not going to make heaven your home by just trying your best. Now, this is not difficult, and maybe I'm getting too heavy. I'm not trying to get heavy here, but I'm just trying to say that the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. And, you know, and I'm not the first guy that that maybe asked that question. Have you ever asked the question before? You know, there were disciples. Some of Jesus' own disciples asked him that. In John chapter 14, Thomas, one of his disciples, said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, yes, other men were doubting. Other men had questions. And then he says in Luke chapter 9, verse 26, the chapter we were just in, 
It says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So there is some work to be done on our part that we are not to be ashamed of the Lord. We're to know who he is. We're also to know that God wants all men to be saved. This is not a few, selected few. This is not a predestination message at all. God wants all men to be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. In the contemporary English version, it says this, God wants everyone to be saved and to know the whole truth, which is, there is only one God, and Christ Jesus is the only one who can bring us to God. Jesus was truly human, and he gave himself to rescue all of us. See, there, here it is. I mean, we've identified two or three scriptures here, and there's more that would identify that there are no optional ways into the kingdom of heaven. There are no mankind-made options. We cannot figure it out on our own. The only way we're going to get to heaven is to read the word, the whole word, and nothing but the whole word, nothing but the whole truth, and apply that to our lives, and that's the only way we're going to get to heaven. There is no easier way. There is no, there is no compromising way. The only way you get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. And I know that it's only in the mind of men that bring errant ways. And I tell you that because the Bible tells us that. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, it says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And here it is. Many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Now wait a second, Mike. God is love. You're telling me that there are going to be more people that go to hell than people that go to heaven? What do you think? What's the word say? Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Now the question is, what do you want to be? Do you want to be one of the many or one of the few? You have the choice. Nobody's saying that you can't be one of the few. See, but if we take an option of, Lord, I'm going to make my own version I'm going to read the word and I'm going to make it up that makes me comfortable today. Yeah, I may feel real comfortable today. I may find that preacher or that teacher that tells me what I want to hear. I may tell you, I may find that. And why I say that is because it says in the last days, in the last days there will be many that will find those teachers, those itching ear teachers that want to hear what I want to feel good. I want that feel good message. I want that one that why I walk out of church, I'm so pumped up, I'm so excited, I'm so feeling good about myself. It's not about myself. Don't you see it? It's about Jesus. If it's about me walking out feeling good about myself, who's at the center point? It's me at the center point. 
It's not about how I feel that I feel good and excited and I feel bubbly and I feel like, oh, everybody loves me and let's just sing kumbaya around the campfire and let's just be a good, happy family. That's not what it's about, folks. That's me-centered. That's you-centered. That's not Christ-centered. We need to have centered point in Jesus. That's how we get to heaven. That's how we know that we will be one of the few, part of the few. I'm not trying to be critical and hard here. I'm not trying to make it so difficult. I'm not trying to bring discouragement. I'm just trying to teach plainly and clearly the Word of God. I'm trying to just say it for what it is so that then we know how to be a partner with the Lord. We know how to be a godly servant. We know how then and why it's important that we have that. It's not, it's not bad to be narrow-minded when it comes to Christ. It's not bad to be narrow-minded when it comes to Christ. All right, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Well, I think that the, the closer we get to eternity, the question will become a little bit easier for us to answer. I know the older I get, and we all get older every day, we all think about eternity maybe a little bit more as we get older. When we're young and dumb, we don't think about eternity because we're eternal. <laughs> In our own mind, we're never going to die. But the reality is we are. And the question is, is it going to be worth it? Is the life that you're living today, is it worth it? Are you living with Christ at the center point so that you can say, yes, my life was worth it? Or will you enter into eternity with a regret? That first breath of eternal air will either be heaven or hell. There's no in between. There's no gray area. It's either heaven or hell. Is it worth it? Is what you're doing today worth it? Is Christ at the center point of your life? Is it worth it? Let me tell you right now, folks. If you keep Christ at the center point of your life, you will never regret it. You may have to work for it. It may be, par- it may be painful to a degree. You may have to put a little effort into it like we did this morning. We need to put a little effort into it. But I tell you, you will never regret it. It will bring reward after reward. What about the suffering aspect? Is it worth it? Absolutely it's worth it. Absolutely, it's worth it. We read already in Hebrews chapter 12 how Jesus made it worth it for him and makes it worth it for us. The other thing that keeping Jesus at the center point of our life does is it keeps us in the center of God's will. It keeps us in the center. If I have Christ at the center point of my life, then I will automatically be... I shouldn't say that. If I keep Jesus at the center point of my life, I will be more effective and more... more capable of being in the center of God's will. If I keep Jesus at the center point of my life, then I can ask him, show me your will. Show me what you want me to do. See, if I'm purposely walking over here and doing my thing over here, and I'm doing what I want to do, what right do I have to go to the Father to say, show me your will? If I'm not going to do it anyways, why even ask for it? But if I'm in the center point of God, if I'm keeping Jesus, Jesus at the center point of my life, then I have every right to ask, Lord, put me in your will. Show me what you want me to do. Make me effective. Make me productive. Give me peace. We have so many problems that come our lives today that are, that, that are our own doing. <laughs> I don't want to... Let's just say it. Let's just say it for what it is. When I'm purposely not walking in the center point of Christ's life, do you understand that you're putting yourself out of the umbrella of God's protection? When you're, when you're not walking under his authority, 
Do you understand that you are walking in the enemy's camp? Do you understand then that that's maybe why you're not getting your prayers answered? Do you understand maybe that's why you're struggling with your peace and you're struggling with your finances and you're struggling with many things because you're not purposely walking under the authority of the Lord? See, that, and the devil doesn't like it when we teach this because he doesn't like people to understand that. And that doesn't mean, let me tell you one thing right now, that doesn't mean that you're going to be rich if you follow Jesus. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about prosperity. I'm talking about the peace of God. You will have freedom. You will have peace. You will have assurance. You will have that if you walk with Christ at the center. So what's in a name? Why change the name now? Why? I looked up on the Internet about name changes, godly name changes, and I got this answer. Why did God sometimes change a person's name in the Bible? Well, and we know that he is. He changed Abram to Abraham. He changed Sarai to Sarah. He changed Simon to Peter. He changed Saul to Paul. Why? Why did God do that? Well, let's read. When God changed a person's name and gave him a new name, it was usually to establish a new identity. God changed Abram's high father, that's what it meant, name to Abraham, meaning father of a multitude. And his wife's name was Sarai, which meant my princess, to Sarah, meaning mother of nations. We know from history that the descendants of Abraham and Sarah formed many nations, including the Jews and the Muslims. God changed Jacob's name to Israel, which means having power with God. Jacob meant supplanter. Israel means having power with God. He changed Simon's name, which means God has heard, to Peter, which is rock. And Jesus said, on that rock, I'm going to build my church. Peter was known as the little rock. Jesus is the big rock. And Peter was the little rock. And on that rock, I'm going to build my church. So he's changed the name from Simon to Peter. Peter, you're the rock. But why did, God, why did Jesus occasionally call Peter Simon after he had changed his name to Peter? <laughs> Probably because Simon sometimes acted like his old self instead of the rock God called him to be. And the same is true for Jacob. God continued to call him Jacob to remind him of his past and remind him to depend upon God's strength. So do you see how a name is a challenge? A name is, I'm, when I call myself a certain name, it's a challenge to be that person, a challenge to be that church. That's why the name is so important because it operates from within to challenge me to be what I'm calling myself that I am. Why did God choose names for some people? The Bible doesn't give us his reasons, but perhaps it was to let them know they were destined for a new mission in life. The new name was a way to let them in on the divine plan and also to assure them that God's plan would be fulfilled in them. That's so good, isn't it? That God's plan would be, would be fulfilled in them. So a name is a constant reminder of who we are who we serve, and how we seek to be viewed by our community. 
Therefore, as we, as we propose to change our name from Charlevoix Assembly of God to Centerpoint Assembly, what we're saying to our community and to myself, that Jesus Christ is the center of my life. He's the center of who I am. He's the center of our church. And we make that commitment to effectively serve him through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do this on our own. We do not have the currency to do this on our own. That's where the power of the Holy Spirit comes in. That we must depend upon Him to help us live it out that way. Jesus is coming back for a church that was without spot or wrinkle. And He's sifting the church right now. He's sifting the churches around the country. If you go out and if you get do some research about other churches, you'll know that other churches are being sifted too. We're not the only one. Other churches are being sifted. Why? Because we're getting closer and closer to Jesus' return. He's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. So as we identify ourselves as center point, we are then identifying ourselves in the community as center point, and we are productively putting ourselves in a position where we can serve their needs through the love of Jesus as we are calling ourselves and as we are committing ourselves to be. So as we wrap this up this morning, I, I want to challenge us all this morning. Is this the right thing to do? Are you comfortable with this message? Are you comfortable with what we just talked about? Does it bring up a challenge in your life to say, I want that? How serious are you about keeping Christ at the center point of your life? Let me ask the question first. Is he? In fact, let's just close your eyes right now. Everyone just close your eyes. Is Jesus the center point of your life? This morning, if he, if he is not the center point of your life, I want to give you an opportunity to make him. If all eyes are closed, if you're struggling with Jesus being the center of point of your life, truly the center point of your life, would you just raise your hand? Would you just raise your hand to the Lord? I see that hand. I see those hands. I see that. If you're struggling with that, that's, that's honest. That doesn't mean you're a sinner. It means you're struggling with the reality of keeping Jesus at the center point of our life. I'll tell you folks, my hand's up. It's not that I don't love the Lord, but I struggle in it. It's not a shame to be struggling, it is, but we need to acknowledge it. I need to purposely make Christ the center point of my life every day. And so do you. I see your hands. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. For every hand that was raised, Lord, we acknowledge you as the center point of our life. And for those sitting here as well, Lord, I'm sure we all were saying yes. I'm sure we all were saying it. So, Lord, I'm, I am not in any way making this an exclusive prayer because we all need to have. Jesus is the center point. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us in this. I pray that you would bring clarity to us. And I pray that you would just make this, Father, a clear direction in our lives. So I'm asking right now, you can open your eyes, thank you. Um, if you would hand out that second page, Grayson. What I'm asking you to do, I'm handing out a questionnaire, a center point assembly questionnaire. And... Um, I'm asking you to fill it out, if you would. 
as a member or regular attender. A regular attender or a member. I've given you two copies of the same thing. I'd like you to fill one out and I'd like you to keep one. And the questions are pretty direct. But you know, folks, I would rather be the one asking you the direct questions right now than asking you soft questions right now and then letting God be the first one to ask you a direct question. I'm not trying to get heavy-handed. I'm not manipulating. I'm just speaking truth. I'm just trying to say I would rather have somebody to ask me these questions before I get to heaven because if I haven't answered them before I get to heaven, I'm not sure my answers would be right. And then I have the risk of where do I spend eternity? So as a member or a regular tender of this body, I would like you to please answer the questions and respond as honestly as you can. We'd ask for each person to respond on this and hand back to the church board so that an appreciation from the body can be gained on this proposed name change. Two copies are being handed out, one so you can keep, one for your own personal reference and continuing prayer. Names are optional. I don't need to have your name. If you want to put your name in it, that's fine. I don't care. It's not about me knowing. It's about you and Jesus knowing. So I don't care about the names. But here's my, here's my biggest concern is that if we're not committed, if we're not going to live our lives, if we're not going to commit this church to living with Jesus as a center point, then I'm proposing we don't change the name. I don't want to be something in this community that we're not going to be. I don't want to say we're center point assembly, then live like I'm Mike focused or your name focused. I don't want to be center point assembly if we're not going to be it. So that's why I'm asking you for your opinion. And I'm asking for your commitment. This is not a requirement to join the church. And this doesn't mean you're saved or unsaved. I'm just telling you, I'm just asking you to show me the level of commitment that you're at and show the church so we know if we should make the name change or not. See, Charlevoix Assembly of God is not a bad name, but it doesn't say anything. It just says there's an Assembly of God church in Charlevoix. But it doesn't hold me accountable. It doesn't give me any challenge. And here's the thing I like about Centerpoint. You go to somebody and say, they ask, what church you go to? I go to Centerpoint Assembly. Oh, well, what's that about? Oh, it's about Jesus. It's because Jesus is the center point of my life. And you have a 30-second way to, to introduce the gospel because of the name. I go to Shalva Assembly of God. What does that mean? It's a Assembly of God Church of Shalva. The center point assembly, it just it speaks it all. It just says, wow, yeah, I have an immediate opportunity to tell people why. And hopefully they're seeing that living in my life. Right? Amen? Next week, um, if you would, if you would pray for this, prayerfully fill this out. Bring it back next week if you would. If you would give it to one of the elders or one of the deacons or myself, um, or hand it, or maybe you can fill it up right now. It's up to you, whatever you're comfortable with. But I would like to get it back because I do want to make sure that last, that last line is answered. Are you in favor, yes or no? Are you in favor, yes or no? Next week we're going to talk about the logo. In fact, we saw it a little bit. It was on the song, Centerpoint. That's what I propose. And we'll talk about what that means next week. But there's a meaning, there's a very significant meaning of every element in that logo. And I want to go through it next week with you because I really believe the Lord put that on our heart as well.
Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for everyone in this building today. Father, I'm so thankful, Lord. I'm so thankful, Lord, that you have blessed this church with good people. Lord, that you have blessed this church with a solid foundation. And, Lord, now we want to build on that. And, Lord, we really do want to make you the center point of our life. We really do want to focus in on that, Lord Jesus, so that it becomes automatically who we are, that we don't even have to think about it, that it just becomes our nature. And truly, Lord, that's what a true Christian is. A true Christian already is doing that anyway. So, Lord, now we're just identifying it. Be with us, Lord. Help us. Challenge us, Father. Give us the love of Christ within us that we can live pleasing to you. Be with us now, we ask, as we go to our homes, go throughout this week, bless us, just bring us back into your service, Father, throughout this week when we have to come back into this building or wherever we're at. Father, I just pray your blessing. I pray, Lord, that we would continue to exercise our worship so we come back next week ready for game day one more time. In Jesus' name.